Good morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Johnny. I'm one of the pastors here at Bayou City. If you're new today, uh, today is going to be a day of hope. We're going to talk about where our hope comes from. And we're going to talk about the kind of love that is love in spite of the things that are in our lives. We've been going through kings and prophets. We've been talking through the Old Testament and trying to understand how it fits into our lives. We're trying to understand what we can glean from some of these really crazy, crazy stories. You ever read something in the Old Testament? You're like, that's weird. <laughs> and you get in the New Testament, you're like, oh, that's weird too. Right? And then you hear about this mysterious, amazing love of God shown through Jesus. And you're like, God, I don't get it. Have you ever asked yourself the question, like whether you're a believer or not a believer, like this is a great time to be in church today. I don't think it's ever an accident that we show up, right? It's never an accident that you show up at church. Like you might think it's an accident or you might think it's like your parents on purpose or your friends on purpose or whatever. I know that God doesn't mistakenly draw us to the places that we find ourselves. And so my hope today is that you hear something of the love of God that will transform your life. That's why you're here. You are not here, as we say always, to hear some cool sermon by some guy you barely know. That's not why you came to church. You didn't come to church to hear the songs that you love. You came here to be transformed by the in spite of love of God. And I hope today that you leave with a new measure of hope and purpose, irregardless of whether you've been a believer for 50 years or today, you are wondering and wandering because the hope is for you too. You ever wondered if people would love you in spite of, if they knew all the things? I'm talking about that thing that nobody else knows, right? That struggle, that deep thing that you wonder if they knew this, would they love me in spite of this? And it's hard because we have history with people who have a difficult time loving in spite of. Let's be honest. I can have a difficult time loving in spite of, right? Like if you knew me, here's the deal. You all won't ever know everything about me. Do you know why? Because I question whether or not I will be loved in spite of that thing. It's, I'm just being transparent. You all have the same thing. There's parts of us we don't let people because we have to risk this idea that we'll be loved in spite of that thing or those things or this failure or that circumstance. And the longer we're Christians, the harder it is for us to love in spite of for some reason, I don't know why. It should be the opposite way, right? I wonder if I can be loved in spite of my mistakes, failures, and my sin. We carry this around with us, don't we? And we wonder if there's hope. Do you wonder if there's hope? We talked about new wine. When it gets real tough, do we have hope? When we're not sure that we'll make it through, do we have hope? And if we feel hopeless and we don't know if God exists and we find ourselves straying under pressure because of our choices, is there still hope? And today is a day that I want to tell you plainly that yes, there is hope. 
Yes, there is a way forward. Yes, there is love that is available in spite of all of the failures, mistakes, and the sin. There is hope for a future now, and there's a hope for a future in eternity. I'm just going to tell you what it says and let you wrestle with the answer. I hope that you'll take hold of it and that you'll be changed forever. If you've been a believer, as we talk about the book of Hosea, I hope that this will be a remembering for you and will give you a new passion for what your job is on this earth, which is not to make money and be the coolest and the most popular until you die. That is not your job. It is your job to share this hope with the whole world so they might find eternal life. And I hope that you'll be reminded of that and given new purpose. And if you are wandering and wondering if there's any hope at all, I think today will be the day. Maybe for one of you or five of you or whoever's in the room, maybe today's the day where you take hold of it and you walk a different life. That will be my prayer as we go through this. If you want to turn to the book of Hosea, it's on page 751. It never gets old, does it? It gets every time. It's funny. I don't know why. There's a couple of them the pastors have in their back pocket just when it gets a little heavy. We got to lighten up the mood a little bit. As you're turning there, I want to give you context and remind you, as you're reading the scriptures, context matters. Taking a verse out of the Bible and basing your whole theology and doctrine about Christian living on one verse is really dangerous. People do it all the time. I'm going to ask you not to do that. As you read the scriptures, pay attention to context. Read the chapters before and in between. Pay attention to who's writing it, why they're writing it, to whom they're writing it, so that you have a strong foundation and the whole of scripture becomes a lot clearer that way. We'll give some context here. Hosea, his name means, may Yahweh save. Yahweh is the name that God gave himself to Moses. It means I am that I am. It's not that I was that I was. It's that I will always be here. I have always been here. I just am. Ever present, all knowing, all present God all the time, Yahweh. And this name was so holy that the Hebrew scholars didn't want to write it. So Jehovah is their way of writing Yahweh without writing the actual name Yahweh. Fun fact. May Yahweh save. It's a good name to get. Names are important in Hosea. We'll get there in a minute. He preached in the northern kingdom. This is Israel. Remember that we have passed where the kingdoms have split, Israel and Judah. Judah was to the south. Israel was terribly disobedient, walked in wickedness. Right? And so Hosea was during this time of Jeroboam II. And it was a time of great prosperity, but national decline at the same time. Great prosperity, national decline. Pay attention to that. Great prosperity, national decline. The nation was rotting away inwardly because they had gotten involved with foreign gods and with foreign peoples that led them astray from living a life after God. And they were taken into captive by Assyria in 721 BC. Second Kings 15 to 17, some background history you can read. We're not gonna read that today. Just want you to have the information as you study on your own. Now Hosea's message was no different than most of the other prophets, right? You're walking in wickedness. Here's gonna be the punishment unless you repent, <laughs> His had a message of hope, which we'll get to, which is what we're going to focus on 
but it's important that you know the whole thing. The thing that sets Hosea apart is that he was asked to live the message before he gave it. That sounds like a terrible job. He was asked to live the message before you. Have you ever had a, a job, you're going for a job, and you're like, yeah, I'd love to see that job description, and you look at it and you're like, well, that sounds terrible. This is what Hosea is told. This is his job description from God in Hosea chapter one, starting in verse two. He says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go and take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. Well, sign me up. Huh? That's not, yeah. How much does it pay? Nothing perfect. I love it. No pay and I get to have an adulterous wife and kids from unfaithfulness. Sweet. Do I get the weekends off? No, perfect. Take yourself an adulterous wife. And the reason he was asking is because Israel was being unfaithful. He had taken for himself in covenant with these people and they were living, they were living an adulterous life, spiritual adultery, chasing after foreign gods, prostituting themselves to these other nations, worshiping worthless idols instead of the living God. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. That's exactly how you say that, I'm sure. And she conceived and bore him a son. Now the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. Listen, when you pick names for your kids, you can look up on Google a, a list of great names to name your kids. They mean things like hope and love and peace and mercy. Sometimes you name them peace and mercy. Why not? Jezreel, because you'll be punished. Okay. Strike one on the name thing. Okay, so they have Jezreel. Then the Lord said to Hosea, uh, sorry, excuse me, verse six, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Oh. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her lo Ruhamah, for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel. Well, dang it. Punishment because of Jehu, welcome to the world, Jezreel, and also not loved, lo ruhamah, living the message that you have to give is pretty terrible. He says, look, yet I will show love to the house of Judah and I will save them, not by my way, or not, excuse me, not by bow, sword, or battle, but by the Lord their God. And then verse eight says, after she had weaned lo ruhamah, Gomer had another son, Son, daughter, son. Then the Lord said, call him Bill. Because the first two names were terrible, so I'm gonna cut you a break. It's not what yours says either then. <laughs> okay, here's what mine says. It says, call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. He was asked to marry an adulterous wife. And we don't know if Gomer was adulterous before they were married or just after they were married, but she was an adulterous wife. And they got three kids. One was of punishment. One was named because the love had been broken between the two. And the third, you are not my people. It's a good start. 
Chapters one through three talk of the unfaithfulness of Israel. It's a picture of their unfaithfulness. And we see this in the marriage, right? It's a picture. It's a physical picture of the spiritual truth of what was going on in the relationship between Israel and God. And what's amazing is that in spite of Gomer's adultery, in spite of her unfaithfulness, look what God tells him to do. God tells him in chapter three, verse one, the Lord said to me, go show yourself or go show your love rather to your wife again. Though she is loved by another and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love sacred cakes. He's saying, look, just as the Lord loves Israel, I want you to go and show love to her, even though she's unfaithful and she is with another, right? In fact, Gomer had left and done all these things and it caused her to be sold into slavery. She became a captive to her sin. Now, I don't think that sounds familiar to anybody in here, but we can understand what he's talking about, right? She was taken captive in her sin. And it says in verse two of chapter three, so Hosea, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And I told her you were to live with me the rest of many days. You may not prostitute or be intimate with any other man and I will live with you, right? Verse five, afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and so forth and so on. It is a picture of Israel's sin and the love that God had in spite of that sin. And Hosea, before he could speak it to the people, he had to live it out. And because he lived it out, he was able to passionately proclaim the hope that God was going to bring to Israel and the whole world. Because he felt it. It's like the woman who anointed Jesus with her tears and dried her, his feet with her hair. And everybody's criticizing her. And God tell, Jesus tells the people at the party, he says, look, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. She feels it. She understands it. She's lived it. She's accepted this hope. She understands forgiveness in a deep, visceral way. But you all love so little because you can't remember how much you've been forgiven. You don't understand the depth of your sin and why you've been forgiven so much. So you love a little bit. Hosea was able to proclaim these things because of that. Israel had rebelled and God was gonna bring severe consequences, it says in chapters one through three. But God's love and mercy, of course, are more powerful than Israel's sin. Have you ever thought about that? That God's love and mercy is more powerful than your sin? Did you know today, whether you are a believer or you are not a believer, that you are walking apart from God in the world and you are suffering because of the consequences of your poor choices, did you know that God's mercy and grace is more powerful than your sin? It is more powerful than your sin. It is impossible to outrun the grace of God. Chapters four through seven are a proclamation of Israel's sin. He talks about how they, they want to worship God and everybody else's as well and it, how it's not going to work. He, you know, I'm sure people were talking about Gomer, you know. Man, that Hosea's wife. And Hosea says, yeah, but you're no different. You as a nation are no different than this woman, right? 
We love to criticize other people's sins while we forget our own. The woman caught in adultery. Man, we love to, we love to, what is it? You know what? The dude was in the, in the wrong too. Well, you don't need to hear him in that story. What did Jesus say when he confronted that sin? Go ahead, throw the first stone. Because my sin and your sin are the same and they achieve the same thing, which is death. Chapters eight through 10. I know I'm not saying every word of these. I wanna get to the end and I wanna get to what it means for us today. So forgive me for the quick run through. You can read it on your own. Generally, we take it a little slower and we get a little deeper, but I wanna get to the whole story here. If you look at four through 10, we're talking about eight through 10, Israel's judgment is pronounced. This is what's gonna happen because of the sin that was just proclaimed. Does that make sense? Hey, you're living this way and because you're living this way, you can expect this to happen. He's trying to get it out there, right? You're gonna experience separation from God. You're gonna experience deep, harmful and hurtful consequences because you are choosing to live apart from me because you're chasing after worthless gods. See, there was a knowledge of God in this sense as though they read about him in the newspaper, right? And in fact, it says that there was actually no knowledge. The word knowledge is yada, which is an intimate knowing. They knew of God as a lot of people in this country and generally know about God. Oh, I read that story once. I remember in Sunday school, I learned all those cool, yeah, I like that story. Oh yeah, Noah and the ark. Terrifying, by the way. We teach our kids, it's terrifying. It's good, they need to know. But we know these stories about God and we read about God, but he's saying there is no knowledge of me. You don't actually know me. It is the difference between reading in a newspaper and the intimate relationship between husband and wife. So the judgment is pronounced and then we come to chapters 11 to 14. And this is why we do this. We've gone through kings and prophets and we've been hearing about wickedness and sin and punishment and death. And we're like, man, is there any hope in the Bible at all? Is there any part of the story that, the, that gives us some measure of to like chase after? Yes. And Hosea ends on this really amazing note. Chapter 11 specifically is this picture of a father who raises his son, sharing everything he has with him. Right? It actually is a great parallel to Luke 15. We've talked about this last week a little bit. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. But Luke 15 is a parable of the prodigal son. And he says this. It's a picture of this father. And he shares everything. And the son rejects his father and he leaves. Right? In the poem of chapter 11, a lot of Hosea is written in poetry, by the way. That's just the style in which he communicates. You see the father's heart being torn apart and he's angry and he vows punishment. And the next moment you see his heart broken. And then he's moved by compassion and mercy to offer forgiveness. That's the picture that Hosea paints in chapter 11 of his, uh, of his book. And in chapter 11, we see this picture of this heart. Anger and hurt, compassion, right? He's moved, he's broken hearted. And he says this in chapter 11, verse eight and nine. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. 
I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim, for I am God and not man. He says, how can I turn you over? He says, all my compassion is aroused. If you have kids, do you, you know this feeling, right? You, you raise them, the women, you have it even worse because you bore them. These little crazy people. You bore into the world, right? And we carry with this, this deep, like in our guts, it's almost painful how much we love them, right? And we want so badly for things to go the way that would be beneficial for them. And Israel is no different. God entered into a covenant with this deep, like guttural love and passion for their lives, wanting them to be in an intimate relationship with him. And whether it was Adam and Eve at the beginning and every human since, the nation of Israel, uh, the, the Jewish people before, uh, the Pharisees and all the people we like to point fingers, and us in the room, we have all together rejected God the same way that this story reflects. The son rejecting the father. But it says, all my compassion is aroused. Have you ever had your compassion aroused in you? Something that gets you so like, like it's life-changing. You can't do what you want. You, you have to do it this other way because it is just aroused in you. It is this, it's almost this, vis, this visceral, physical response to what's going on. This is the picture of God's heart for his people in spite of, I want you to hear that, in spite of all the things, the the sin that was proclaimed, the judgment that was pronounced, in spite of those things, God says, I will not carry out my fierce anger. Then in chapter 14, even though we forget quickly the love and grace of God. Even though we forget the provision of God, even though we forget how to follow and walk with him because we're selfish and rebellious, here's what it says. Chapter 14, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forget all of our, or forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Nobody else can save us. And then verse four, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. What Hosea got to pronounce to the people Israel is this. In spite of this sin and in spite of your rejection of God, he is going to love you anyway. There is hope, not just for you, but for the whole world. There's hope that Israel will be restored to their intimate relationship with God. But it won't be because of Assyria. It won't be because of the power of men. It won't be because of your effort. It won't be because of anything except that God loves us in spite of our sin and rebellion. And you're like, man, Israel should have gotten it by now, right? You're like, man, is there anybody really that bad? Let's take it through history just a little bit. How's that? So we know Israel was terrible, right? And God loved them in spite of. Let's look in Paul's day. 2 Timothy chapter three says this. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, That's not just for the kids. Y'all are disobedient to your parents too. 
We've all been disobedient to our parents. I just think it's funny to stop there because the parents get a giggle out of that. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Whoo. If those are the last days, we're in a lot of trouble. We better get ready for Jesus. Because that sounds a lot like the world we live in right now. That sounds like a, a people whose hearts have gone cold to the hope that Hosea was trying to offer in Jesus. Right? It's the same hope that Jesus offered. It's the same hope that Paul offered and Peter offered. It's the same hope that you were offered, which is why you're sitting in the room in the first place. You weren't born a Christian. Did you know that? You were not born a Christian. You did not come out of the womb believing in Jesus. That's not how it works. The scripture says that we are born into sin. We are born into a world of sin, broken and aloof and far apart from God. But because of the mercy and love of God who loves us in spite of our sin, some have responded to that grace and has found new life. That's why we sit here. Here's a quote from uh, 1890, a little, a little more recent than Paul's day. It is not the scientific doubt not atheism, not pantheism, not agnosticism that in our day and in this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It is a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going prosperity. It won't be the atheist's fault that the gospel doesn't get out. It won't be those who are struggling to understand God that the gospel doesn't go out. The hope that Hosea professed, that Jesus professed, that Paul professed, that we are to profess will not be hindered by people who trust in other gods. It will be hindered by a people who have forgotten the hope in which they profess and who are too comfortable to profess it for fear that we won't get to have our way because God asks us to live in a sacrificial loving in spite of type of life. If Hosea's name was May Yahweh Save, when Jesus came on the scene, you may know this, his name means Yahweh will save. May Yahweh save speaks of something in the future to happen. Yahweh will save is definitive and concrete. And when Jesus came, he did not come because he needed saving. What I want to do is I want you to hear this. If you are a believer in the room, I want you to be reminded and equipped in this moment to clearly share the greatest news on the face of the earth. I want you to remember again that when you enter into conversations with people, whether for five minutes or you have a relationship for five years, that you have something to offer. It is not your failure, sin, and mistakes. It is hope. 
And I hope you'll listen well and maybe understand, take something away that, oh, I could share this and maybe this will help me in my conversations. And if you are not, if you are struggling or wandering, I don't want you to feel condemnation because you don't get it. I want you to leave today knowing there's hope, that there's purpose from your wandering, that there is concrete love in spite of where you are currently in this minute. The scripture is full of these truths. A couple things that I want to tell you before I give you these things. Oh man. I'm terrible at being on time and I'm sorry. We're going we're gonna to be done soon, I promise. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Second Peter tells us that he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but to come into his kingdom. God desires relationship with everyone. Here's what it says in the Bible. I'm gonna give you a crash course, and I hope this helps. The Bible says that God created the earth and everything in it, everything. And when he made man and woman, he made every single one of us in his image. In his image, not my image or your image, but in his image. And he desired an intimate relationship, that knowing, the yada, that knowing with every single person. But because of the sin of Adam and Eve, they were separated from God because of that sin. Sin meaning that it's just on purpose choosing to do the wrong thing. Opposed to God's holiness. The Bible says that there is clear, like when you go home, right? If you, if you do something wrong at home when you're a kid, we know this growing up. What happens? You get in trouble. There's some punishment, right? If you lie, you get your phone taken away. Throw that thing in the trash. Uh, right? If you steal something, you, you, know, you go to court. If you, there's, there's consequences. The Bible says the consequence for rebelling and going against God is death. Now, I realize that sounds super harsh. But he is a holy God, altogether set apart. Right? It means, it doesn't mean if you lie to your parents tonight, you're going to fall down dead in your living room. So all the kids take a deep breath, it's going to be okay. But there's a relationship separation that happens. The Bible says that our sin creates an eternal separation from God. And it is also very clear in the scriptures that you and I can't fix it just by doing enough. Because here's the thing. If you, I'll, I'll give you an illustration. If there's a glass of water here, perfect and pure, and you'd put just the tiniest drop of poison, do you want to drink that? Ooh, man, awesome. Crazy people are going to say yes. I didn't know. But if you, it, it ruins the entire thing, right? Just one drop. The same way that sin, one is too many. Holy, set apart, God, perfect, untainted, me, Johnny Marks, even one sin causes contamination in my ability to interact with God together. I can't undo that in me, right? If you bake a, a, a batch of cookies with a little bit of poop in it, it's gonna ruin the whole batch. And forgive me for being crass, but that was for all the guys in the room to make sure they're paying attention. Here's the thing. You're not gonna eat any of the cookies, the whole point is that you can't undo the sin on your own. There has to be a fix. There has to be somebody that takes the punishment and then some other way for us to be with the Lord. The only way to be with God is to be holy and righteous. Jesus was holy and righteous, never sinned. We are sinful and set apart from God. The Bible says that he came, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. 
The Bible says that God sent his son whom he loved because he loved you in spite of all your stuff so that those who would believe might be saved from having to deal with their own stuff. It's this amazing, holy, mysterious switcheroo. He takes what you deserve and offers you what you don't. That's the hope. The Bible says that all who believe, who will confess him as Lord and Savior, will be saved from that punishment. To be able to walk in new life. To have that intimacy, that yada, that knowing. But the Bible is clear. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He's the only living, true, hope-filled, loving you in spite of Savior. So let me ask you a question. What would you do with that hope? What do you do as a believer to be remembered, to be reminded of that hope? In the crushing and in the pressing that we sing about, we have hope because of Jesus. If you're not walking in him and you don't know him, but you're wondering where the hope is found, I'll tell you plainly, there is no other name on this earth by which men and women and children can be saved except through Jesus Christ, the only Lord and the only Savior. And I know how that sounds because as an atheist, I heard somebody say that and I wanted to throw a shoe at him. I won't apologize. I'll only tell you because I have found hope there. Have you found hope in him? There are people sitting in this room who have found hope in Jesus as the only hope to our wandering and our wondering and our hurt and our pain. Our sin and our rebellion and our mistakes are covered all at the cross and through the power of the resurrection. What would your life look like if you woke up every day with hope? How would you spend your time and effort and your resources as a people who are living with hope, who know that they've been forgiven in spite of and loved in spite of all the things that we do wrong? I wonder what we would look like as a people and as a church. I wonder, those of you who are wondering, what your daily life would look like if you had hope. It was offered to Israel, and it's offered to you too. But it's only found in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you love us in spite of our mistakes and rebellion and sin. I'm gonna ask my friends who will come up for prayer to to be up here available to make their way up front. If you need to pray for hope, if you need to pray on behalf of someone, if you need to Know Jesus, this is a wonderful opportunity to do that. We'll have a time up front, and then even after, there'll be somebody in the corner available uh, for the rest of our time, but let's not miss the opportunity to take hold of the hope which is available to us in Jesus. Let's stand together. As we worship uh, through music here, would you know that we are available to pray with you and for you?